The uh, Christmas season is upon us. Um, here for the next four weeks, we are going to be uh, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus by looking back to the first coming of Jesus. Uh, historically, as we said before, that's called Advent. Uh, so we're going to be doing that together. But uh, even before this, as you look around in our, our community, uh, in our culture now, uh, the Christmas season is evident everywhere. In fact, Lowe's operates on a different calendar than the church. <laughs> because I think Christmas starts there before Halloween even ends. Um, trick-or-treating hadn't even happened, and the skeletons were down, and Santas were, uh, Santas were up. Um, uh, but what we're looking at is not to, uh, to think about and focus on how our culture celebrates this American holiday called Christmas, but for as the people of God, how do we think rightly about what it means that Christ has been born? Uh, for those of us who have grown up in the, the church, uh, some of the, the things that we, we talk about and in in, in when we, we talk about the coming of Christ into the world, uh, some of the things that we say, extraordinary things, can become so familiar that we don't readily and rightly and accurately sit down and really consider the implications of what the Scriptures are teaching and what we claim we believe. Think about uh, songs that we sing. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child. A virgin with a child? Really? Is that really what the scriptures teach? Is that really what we believe? How is something like that possible? Or to think about the, the song that we, we opened with, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. One of the, the lines in the, the second verse, Late in time behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Really, an offspring, a child, came from the womb of a virgin? We can easily dismiss it. And we, we sing those, uh, those verses uh, we, we retell the story, but do we understand truly the implications and rightly consider and understand what is going on and what God was doing when that happens? Too easily, we can just dismiss it and overlook it. There may be others of us here who uh, dismiss it as well. Not because it's so familiar, but because it's so fantastic. It's relegated to other Christmas songs. Songs about Santa and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. All these other myths and fables and legends that have nothing to do with history. They're made up. And so these songs about Jesus are just lumped in there. Things that are, these stories that people tell and believe about Jesus surely couldn't have happened. Miraculous things are impossible. We know more about the world in this scientific age. These things could have never come about. If they did, they were embellished. They're legendary. They're lies. They're deception. They've changed over time. 
And so you too may fail to really consider and look deeply and try to understand what is going on. Here, over the the next four weeks, what we want to do is we want to look in uh, one of the accounts in the Bible of Jesus' life and teachings, specifically looking at His birth, His infancy, His early childhood over the next four weeks. We're going to be in Matthew's account of Jesus' life and teaching. Matthew was one of Jesus' uh, followers who was an eyewitness, who was with Him through His three years of, uh, of earthly ministry, called specifically by Jesus and entrusted by Jesus to be one who author- authoritatively spoke for Him, <laughs> confirming to us the true things to believe and understand about Him and the Scriptures. Matthew, what we're going to look at is four places in his account and telling of us of Jesus' birth and early life where events and things that are going on in Jesus' life correspond to prophecies and connections from the Old Testament to help us as Matthew's directing his readers then and us now to rightly consider and interpret and understand what it means, why Jesus came into the world, who He was, and the implications it has for us today. So, if you would, look with me in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be beginning in verse 18 through 25 this morning. uh, As we look at the account of Jesus, the announcement of His birth and His birth, uh, where we hear of this miraculous announcement that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. So, if you would, look with me there in your copy of God's Word. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 807. So beginning there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your uh, sovereign preservation for us of a right and accurate and true account of your revelation of yourself to us, of your work in the world. We pray this morning as we read here, not the mere words of men, but the Word of God, that You would help us, You would open up our eyes 
You'd open up our hearts that we would see and believe truly and rightly, understanding who Jesus is. In His name we pray. Amen. Here, what we're looking at this morning is seeing Matthew account for us the extraordinary events surrounding the birth of Jesus and telling us and recounting for us that Jesus was born of a virgin. Notice, that, that is Matthew's point, is drawing our attention specifically here at the beginning of his gospel, his announcement of the good news of Jesus entering into the world, of drawing our attention to the circumstances, these miraculous and extraordinary circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. Even notice how, how he begins this. Back up in verse 1, he begins this account of Jesus' life and teaching with a genealogy. You might want to go back and listen, or read this later. In fact, there's a guy named Andrew Peterson who actually put all this to music. Very, very good. It's called Matthew's Begats. We did not sing that this morning, but you can do that on your own time. But listen to the repetition of what he says. In verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father. What's being repeated? Father. Father, 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 father. Over and over and over and over again. There are places where mothers are mentioned, but notice when the mothers are mentioned, what Matthew does. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, further on down. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. The mothers are mentioned, but... Attention is drawn to who the Father was. Consistently through this genealogy, Matthew uses that uh, way of speaking until he gets down to verse 16. Notice what he says in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. He changes the way that he's writing. Matthew's pointing something out to us. Joseph is not the father of Jesus. Joseph is the husband of the mother of Jesus, but Joseph is not the father. Well, if Joseph isn't the father, who is? Who is the father of Jesus? Matthew continues. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. It's important for us to understand betrothal in that context is more significant of, an, of, of a relationship and an agreement than our engagements today. Similar, but there's a much more high commitment. To be betrothed was to, uh, to really be considered almost... Husband and wife. You, they had not consummated the marriage physically, but there was great legal, financial, relational, and public commitment. To end a relationship at this point would involve a divorce, as we see Joseph is contemplating later when he finds out Mary is, is pregnant. 
But what would have gone on in their betrothal is usually it would have lasted about a year, but they would, there would not have been sexual intimacy until the, the night when they were fully came together as husband and wife. So that's significant. Joseph and Mary are betrothed, but notice what it says. Before they came together, Mary was found to be with child. Now, Joseph, putting two to two together, knows he wasn't the one who brought this baby into existence. So there's only one other explanation. Mary has been hanging out with somebody else. And so he comes up with this plan to follow what would have been transcribed for him in the law to go ahead and and divorce her because of that adultery, but he's going to do it quietly to some way guard her, her reputation. But he finds out something. He finds out something that Matthew already tells us in verse 18, that this child was not from Lamech around the corner or Simeon four blocks away. She was a child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph didn't know this. Mary did, according to Luke's account. She already knew this. But what was it that convinced Joseph that this was actually the truth? Notice what Matthew tells us. Joseph is considering to divorce Mary, but as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This baby was not the result of adultery. This baby was not the result of Mary and Joseph having intimate relations prior to their full marriage. This baby came into existence through the sovereign and miraculous work of God in the womb of Mary. Not just that, that was Jesus conceived of a virgin, but A virgin carried him until birth, and when Jesus was born, Mary was still a virgin. Matthew wants us to understand this. Uh, In verse 24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. In fact, the prophecy that Matthew quotes shows what he's trying to point to us is that a virgin conceived. Now, some hearing this this morning, as we've already mentioned, in, in a worldview, in a context where you do not believe there is a God, that everything takes place and uh, unfolds due to naturalistic and materialistic processes, This absolutely makes no sense. In fact, you may say it's impossible. Others of you might be in a place where you would say, well, I'm not so confident to say that miracles are impossible, but they're so improbable that if there's any other explanation, we should look there. And so miracles really are so improbable that they would never be the consideration to happen. And so what's going on here is Matthew must be embellishing. He must be trying to elevate Jesus in some sort of divine status because that's what his, the, uh, the early church had come to determine and understand Jesus to be. But you see, 
Context matters. And think about it this way. Let's say you're going to a, a, a little peewee basketball game this upcoming weekend. We're talking peewee, peewee. Five, six-year-old kids. How probable is it that you'll see a dunk in that game? Very, very, very improbable. So improbable that you're not going to be surprised at all if you don't see it. What if you're going to an NBA game? How probable is it that at an NBA game you will witness a dunk? Well, when the context is that type of game and that type of environment and that type of atmosphere, you, sh you should expect to see a dunk happen in that game. You see, from the Bible's perspective and our understanding of the world, and actually, if we are interpreting what we see in our world rightly, we should understand that we do not exist and this world doesn't operate purely on naturalistic and materialistic uh, operations. We've seen that Romans tells us, as we look out in the world, it's evident that this did not just come into existence by accident. In fact, if, if we look at scientific investigation and, and discovery, more and more we're seeing evidence that shows that the things that are around us could only come about through design and intentionality. You see, the Scriptures understand and the worldview by which the Scriptures are operating and which believers in Christ are operating is that there is a sovereign, absolutely powerful God who has created all things, but He doesn't stand aloof and, and, and back, but He's personal. And He enters in and He operates within His creation, working and moving in the lives of His people and bringing about redemption. You see, in that context, miracles aren't something that we should just easily dismiss. In fact, in that context, if there is an absolutely powerful and sovereign and personal God who works and moves and acts in space and time and history and in His creation, we should come to actually expect the miraculous and not easily just dismiss. So if you're, if you're there and you're discounting the probability and the possibility of the miraculous. I would actually say that we need to step back your investigation because really it comes down to, is there a God and what kind of God is He? I would love to talk more with you about that because actually what we can begin to look at is look at evidence in our world, but also seeing evidence that the Scriptures that we have are reliable account of this God's work in the world. Um, please don't just easily dismiss it. Let's look deeply at it. And I'd love to talk to you about those things. For those of us who here are believers in Christ, or who are at least open to the miraculous, notice that's where Matthew points us. That this particular miraculous event should have been expected. It should have been expected because there was something that God announced that He would do that involved a virgin 
bearing a son. Notice that's what Matthew's pointing us to. Notice there in verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Again, notice the biblical understanding is this prophecy that we're getting ready to read wasn't just coming out of the mind or the imagination of Isaiah, who is actually who it is, just as he sat around dreaming this up. No, notice what it says. The Lord spoke through him. God revealing himself how he was going to work in the world was coming through this man, Isaiah. What does he say? The Lord has spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It should be expected. Should have been looking for this to come about. What's the context of this original promise, this original announcement that this baby would come or a baby would come from a virgin? Look, look back with me into Isaiah's uh, book, the prophet Isaiah. Um, this is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 7, which is where this prophecy comes from. If you're in one of the black Bibles there, again, following along, this is on page 571. Isaiah, uh, like all of God's authorized spokespersons, were called directly by our God, the absolute God who enter in, enters into His creation and has people speak on His behalf. He calls Isaiah to speak for him. And Isaiah is a prophet or a spokesman sent from God to speak to the nation of Judah. At that time, the people of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. Uh, due to Solomon's rebellion against God, God divided the kingdom of Israel into two. The northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Southern kingdom Judah remained in existence because of God's promises to David that he would always have an heir on the throne. And that's going to be significant here. So here, Isaiah is prophesying and he's speaking to the nation of Judah, particularly the king, Ahaz. Ahaz and the people of Israel right now are finding themselves under attack. Attack from that northern kingdom Israel and their king, an attack from the nation of Syria and their king. And the people are afraid. And so Ahaz takes matters into his own hands. Instead of remembering the promise of God that he would always have an heir of David on the throne and that God will not fail to keep his promises and that the kingdom will survive, Ahaz does not trust in his God's ability to save and keep his promises. Ahaz looks to the nation of Assyria, the dominant military power at the time, and he calls them and says, hey, will you come help me? Will you beat and defeat Israel and Syria for me? And it's into that decision-making process that Isaiah enters, and he's calling Ahaz to live and walk faithfully, to trust in God's ability to redeem and save and keep His promise. Notice, that's the point that he's driving at. Uh, here, that gives you the, the context because what Israel and Syria were trying to do is to set another king on the throne that they, they decided. We see that in verse 6. But notice what Isaiah says in verse 9. 
If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So notice what Isaiah is calling him to, what the Lord is calling him to, is the faithfulness, the trust in God's ability to save. And so in verse 10, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Remember, Ahaz is struggling to believe that God can save. And so God in His mercy and His grace comes to this wicked, rebellious king. You may think, whoa, you're pretty harsh to call him wicked. I'm not. Ahaz was sacrificing his children by fire to false gods. Ahaz brought, as he walked around and saw other nations worshiping other gods, he would take their style of worship and their design of their temple and bring it in and alter God's uh, given and described way of worship to conform to the way the nations were. Wicked man. But God comes to him. And he says, Ahaz, I need you to trust me. And I'm willing to give you a sign showing that you can trust me. Choose anything. Choose any kind of miraculous sign. It can be as high as heaven or as low as Sheol, the place of the dead. And I will do it. Notice what Ahaz says. I will not ask, for I will not put Yahweh to the test. Ahaz gets pious at this moment. Because the scriptures do say, do not put your Lord to the test. But when God asks you to request a sign and you deny it, you are there putting God to the test. Because really what this is confirming is Ahaz is saying, there's nothing you could show me that will change my mind and my heart right now. There's nothing you could do. I'm confirmed in my actions. I'm going to trust and rely and depend on Assyria to deliver. And I do not want to trust in the God of Israel. And so then God comes and he says this. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you, all, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. God, in judgment on Ahaz, speaking not just to Ahaz, but notice He speaks to the entire house of David, meaning all of His line, all of his family, and all of those who are under his rule. So the entire faithful people of God at this moment. This message is for them. That God says, you've refused to ask for the sign that I asked. I'm going to show you one. A miraculous sign. That's the context. Remember, something as high as heaven or as low as Sheol. Now, some people want to point out in this passage that the word here that's translated in our English uh, uh, Virgin, virgins as virgin um, could just mean a young woman. Uh, well, that's not exactly true. Because if we're looking at the context, context determines the meanings of words. And throughout the Scriptures, when the word that is used here, it's speaking of a young woman of marriageable age. But an essential component in that context of uh, what would uh, be uh, true of the character or characterize this type of young woman would be one who was a virgin. And and we see that in other contexts here. And in fact, to confirm that that's the right understanding of what we're seeing here, the word Matthew uses in, uh, in Matthew, the Greek translation that he uses of this word, literally means virgin. That's the way that the Old Testament, when it was translated into Greek, 
They translated it as virgin. If we still wanted to doubt it, remember the context. God is saying and he's asking for Ahaz to pick any sign you can dream up and I'll do it. Now, why would God say, oh, you're not going to ask for a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. A lady's going to get pregnant and have a baby. I mean, that happens all the time. What is that going to confirm? What is that going to demonstrate and show? But no, what God is saying is that I am going to do something that you will not be able to miss. What I'm saying by giving you this prophecy and this promise is that there is nothing I will not do to bring about my promises, to keep my promises to redeem and save and bring about the promised one. Therefore, be on the lookout anticipate when you see and hear of the the virgin conceiving and bearing a son that is confirmation that i am active and i am working uh, in fact uh, the context in which he he describes is what is going on here uh, in verse 16 he says he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose to do good uh, that context of, of eating curds and honey, uh, Isaiah later describes it as that's the food of those who are under oppression from evil foreigners, living in a, an occupied and a dominated land where the land wasn't producing regular produce. All they had was honey and curds. And so when this little one comes into the world, he's going to enter into the world as one under oppression, one under domination from a foreign power. And God is saying, when He comes, this is what I need you to understand and recognize. Up to this point, what has been going on, the fact that you are dominated and oppressed and controlled by a foreign power is not evidence of my lack of faithfulness. It is not evidence of my lack of ability to deliver and redeem my people. It is because of your unfaithfulness and your rebellion. But in my grace and in my mercy, I am keeping my promise and when the virgin bears a son, you will know that it is showing that I act and work and move and I keep my promises. And notice, notice what Matthew is telling us is happening and is going on when Jesus is born. All the details he's given us. Jesus did not come into existence through the normal means. It was a miraculous birth. A virgin bore a son, conceived and bore a son. And Matthew is saying, this is fulfilling what God had said and spoke from the prophets. Well, so God is going to bring about an heir of David who will rule and reign and fulfill His promises. But why? Why should we hope and trust in this heir of David that God sends? Because the problems that we've found ourselves in up to this point have been due to the unfaithfulness of these other heirs. We saw what we were going through First and Second Samuel. Even David in his goodness led the people into suffering. Solomon later, due to his unfaithfulness, is going to result in the, the ripping apart of the kingdom. As you continue to go through the rest of the, uh, the unfolding of Scripture, you see that although there are many faithful kings, 
They fail to live fully faithfully before God. And eventually, due to the kings of Judah's rebellion, God's people go into exile. And at the time that Jesus is born, there is no Davidic ruler on the throne. He's an Edomite named Herod, and he's controlled by the nation of Rome. All the way up to this point, the people of God had been dominated by the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the, the Romans. Was God at work? Where was He? What are you doing? What about your promises? And then boom, what happens? The virgin conceives. What should it bring our minds and our attentions to? God hasn't forgotten. He's been active. He's been working. He is with us. That's what Matthew tells us. That's what God told us through Isaiah. Notice what he says. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And notice, Matthew wants to make sure we understand what Emmanuel means. What does he say? God with us. You see, this one born of the virgin is no mere man. He is no mere heir of David. This one is God with us. The one born of the virgin. Now it's important for us to understand that the virgin birth did not make Jesus divine. The Scriptures tell us that the second person of the Trinity has always existed. The, the virgin birth was the means by which He entered in and took on flesh and came into our world. But we're not to confuse it with some Greek mythology idea as if God had sex with Mary and then created this demigod type person. No, the Scriptures are telling us something completely different. In a miraculous way, God brought about the conception of a human in Mary's womb, but no mere human. It was God with us. God is breaking into His world through the person of Jesus. You sure you're interpreting that right? Well, again, notice it, Jesus' name. Look up before. She will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus. Guess what Jesus means? It's the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. And it means this. Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. Yahweh saves. But notice, it doesn't say you'll call His name Jesus because your God saves. What does it say? You shall call His name Jesus. Why? Because He will save His people from their sins. Who will save? Yahweh saves. Who will save? Jesus saves. Who is Jesus? Yahweh the Old Testament. Who is Jesus? God with us. The Old Testament people of God should have been longing and looking and hoping, when will this day come when our God will come and visit us? When will He keep His promises? When will He come and act and move to save and redeem and to work in our lives? And it's here. When He enters into our world under the domination of a foreign oppressor, born to a poor girl and her carpenter betrothed husband in shame and poverty. A poor boy is born under foreign domination and he's born of a virgin. Matthew's saying, look, you got to understand, this is what is going on. Jesus is God in the flesh. And the virgin birth is God's sign 
communicating and confirming to us of who Christ is and the work that He's doing in the world. Hopefully now we begin to see how important it is for us to recognize that the miraculous is how God works and He operates. If you're here this morning and you're calling yourself a Christian and influenced by the worldview of our culture, maybe you've begun to, to wonder, well, really, is this stuff true? Did Jesus really do the miracles that He said He did? Water and wine, feeding 5,000? A virgin birth, really? I mean, let's not stop there. The parting of the Red Sea? Turning the sun, stopping in the sky? A flood? Are we really to hold and believe in those things? Well, yes, we do believe in the miraculous. Why? Guess what happens if you discount this as saying it's just myth, it's just legend, it's just embellished, it's just allegory, it's just metaphor. Guess what you've just done? You've undermined what God said would be a miraculous evidence that He keeps His promises, that He exists, that He loves His people, that He will be faithful to redeem. You get rid of the miracles, you get rid of the character and the work of our God. And what you're holding to is no longer Christianity. It is no longer the faith of the Bible. It is something far less. Do you see what our God is doing and what He's showing us? That in the virgin birth, He is confirming His commitment to do whatever is necessary to redeem and save His people. Does it mean He becomes human? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Does it mean He lives a perfect life? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Does it mean He suffers rejection and shame? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Does it mean He dies for our sin? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Does it mean that He would enter into a tomb dead and come out alive? Oh, yeah, I will do that. Confirming to us the power, the might, the faithfulness of our God, that He is with us to save that's the point of what Matthew is wanting to show us. You must understand who Jesus is. And the virgin birth confirms and points and authenticates that for us. That God is saying, look, I am on the move and I am working on your behalf. In fact, Matthew begins his gospel with that and he ends it in the same way. Turn to the very end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28. It's on page 835 if you're in your black Bibles. This is after Jesus is resurrected. This is as He is getting ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father to sit on the throne until we await His coming again. And notice what He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Again, there is equating uh, the deity and the authority of each of the three persons of the Trinity. But he continues on. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What did the virgin birth com communicate to us? Then in the birth of that child, God was with us. Emmanuel. And Jesus says at the end of the Gospel, what? I am with you. How long? Until He comes. If He came the first time, keeping His promise, should we have any doubt that He will come again? That He will be faithful? 
That He will be mighty? That He will be powerful to save? You hear this morning, questioning, trusting, wondering, is this really true? I encourage you to take great hope from God's testimony to us in the Scriptures and in history that God keeps His promises. Redemption comes through Jesus. The only way that we can be saved is by trusting and hoping in this One who humbly entered into our world in the womb of a virgin to live perfectly, to die in our place, and to rise that we might have new life in Him. God is faithful. He saves. May we anticipate and look and hope with confidence that He is coming again to save and redeem us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You for the testimony uh, and the evidence of Your faithfulness that You will do whatever it takes to redeem Your people through Jesus coming in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Give us hope and confidence, we pray. Increase and strengthen our faith. Help us to see and know what is true. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.